think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. This is episode 10, the 11th episode. Of the boys in short pants. I'm Laurent Carboneau. Um, it's Anne Rainbow. And with us today, we have a special co-host guest. It's me, Gwendolyn Moncrief-Gould. Gwendolyn is a friend of ours. Also, you have some cool titles. Yes, I am treasurer of the Young New Democrats of Canada. Um, I'm a student with these two as well in the Riddell program. Hey, that's all my titles. What, all are, right. what are your political claims to fame? What's sort of your background and your experience? I think the Young New Democrats part gave it away. No, but like, how many campaigns have you worked on? Oh, oh, uh, who, who is your commanding officer? <laughs> uh, I worked on eight. I've won one. You've won one. I've won I, actually I've won ratio. zero. Yeah, so same, actually. I'm at the okay. terrible yeah. track That explains record. why we do this podcast and don't have jobs. Yeah. Okay, so I'm doing pretty well here. Then. Yeah, no, you're uh, you're far ahead of us. Yeah. Teach us your ways. Teach us your secrets. <laughs> you start with the orange wave, yeah. and then you never win again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I started in Toronto and Davenport with Andrew Cash, um, and it's all been downhill from there. Yeah. And is, it, is it because none of the other candidates have played rock music on their, it, in their Maybe that's time? it, you know? No other musicians that I've worked Ooh, for. Well, that's foreshadowing, isn't it? Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. I'm non-partisan in that That's place. true. Well, yeah. you're, you're non-intra-partisan, I suppose. I'm just uncommitted at this point. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. So, uh, to begin for this week, we have, after that excellent, excellent opening patter, uh, Etienne sort of uh, gave away our... Uh, our itinerary today on Twitter. The so secret we're, sauce. We are, now, we are now committed to uh, the path as set forward by Etienne. So, Etienne, do you want to lead us off on what you want to talk about? I want to start with the NDP leadership race. You want to start with the NDP leadership race. So, last week, uh, all of us here were at the debate. We were. Yes. Uh, it was, however, like two we had recorded earlier, or either like we hadn't had our thoughts together, so we couldn't get it in last week's episode. But this yeah. week, we can talk about uh, the first leader's debate and kind of the state of that race and how it's going so far. Uh, Etienne, do you have any thoughts? Unfortunately, I'm now on the NDP mailing list, and I get uh, I get even more garbage emails every day. That's how that's how they get you. It really sucks. Um, my take from the race is uh, race or debate? Or sorry, yes. <laughs> I'll do both eventually. We'll we'll get to both of them on the debate. Uh, the debate, as per all starting leadership debates, when not a lot of policies out there, yeah. is that they're pretty high level. Uh, they're really introductory, very cursory to give you a sense of the candidates, but there's not a lot of actual debating. Yeah, I was uh, rather unsurprised, but also disappointed by that. Um, between the candidates, I have, uh, I'd say three of them were strong, and then Peter Julian was <laughs> less strong. Um, also, in interesting details, NDP after parties suck, at least insofar as the ones I went to. Uh, did make it to Brixton's, but they do not compare to conservative ones, where at least the drinks are covered. Yeah. Uh, what were your guys' take on the debate? Go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You know, I'll take the classic Dipper line in that I don't think it went far enough. Um, <laughs> uh, no, there, I think, you know, every candidate has come out with good policies right out of the gate, but that wasn't, I don't think that was present for any of them in the no. debate, um, and that's fair. I think Guy talked a little for. more about it. Yeah, 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 Guy started us off. And to reiterate, um, that's uh, Guy Caron, he's a former finance critic and MP for Rimouski. a really, really, really long writing name in eastern Quebec. Rimouski something else. Rimouski, Timisquata, Lineage, something else. He's, he's just yeah, blending words together. He's not There's a Timisquata in there, I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> good cheese in his writing. He had that. very good cheese. Yeah, yeah. He, I think the best parties were the night before the debate. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. no one, invite, no one invites cheese. me to those. Free cheese. Oh, oh. It was good. Uh, but he was—he kind of came with a little more policy, but I think he'd undersold himself before the debate. Um, yeah. So I walked away pretty impressed. Um, but yeah, it was 
you know, I think they know that they need to get to know people right now. And yeah. I think they're really playing to their bases as well. They're not doing outreach at this point. I'm trying to define um, their base, too. Yeah. yeah. So one of the issues over the course of the conservative debate has been the format, uh, where it's naturally been a little bit handicapped by having 14 people on the stage. Yeah. What was your guys' take on the, uh, the NDP format? I liked it. Um, I think it was, you know, it incorporated bilingualism really well. It did. Um, while letting people like Charlie yeah. Angus get by. Yeah, I mean, it was like an, a legitimately bilingual debate. Yeah. I think it's like, which is more you can say about any of the conservative ones, which sort of included French as a bit of a prop. Yeah. Um, you know, even though there are good French speakers in the conservative leadership race, they haven't really had the opportunity to really conduct the race in their first language. Just a bit of a handicap for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, yeah, the NDP one, uh, the, the format was quite thoroughly bilingual, and even Charlie Angus performed moderately well with his pretty limited French. Uh, I actually didn't think his French was that bad. I mean, it's limited. I wouldn't say it's awful. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Stephen Harper level. I'd uh, say it's not quite there, but I think it can get there by the next election if he he becomes leader. It's just going to be a shock coming from from Jack and then from Tom to have basically an Anglophone leading the NDP. Yeah. such is such is life. I guess you can't have everything. No. Um, but on the on, on the rest of the format, though, uh, besides the bilingualism, I thought it was nicely paced with the different length of questions, mm-hmm. with the um, sort of different seriousness of questions. What, yeah. What about the softball questions? What uh, do you prefer, ale or lager? Terrible, yeah. terrible binary selection of beer. <laughs> That's true. Um, what's your favorite Quebec movie? Which Michael Bay Transformers film is your favorite? <laughs> I mean, the correct answer is none because they're all problematic. But, uh, uh, do you prefer Lego or Mega Blocks? Okay, obviously like... Lego. This is easy stuff. Come on, again. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, those I think were fine. I think like the first round of them, especially, was like valuable and funny and sort of gave us a little more insight into their characters, which I thought was like good. So, the so, second one, I was kind of like, okay, I don't really need this, but I felt like Nikki Ashton sort of failed at a lot of those. Where she came across as like trying too hard. When asked about um, her sport, she's like, haha, door knocking. <laughs> I feel like that plays better to a room of dippers than it does to anybody it, else, it though. It almost definitely does. Yeah. Um, I don't think many of us actually do sports. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> the room. What's this writ large? Like, NDP presenting 20% of Canadian population do not do sports. Just well, yeah, can, cannot than, be bothered. Voters, yes, but less than 2% are, are party members. So I mean, that's fair. I wasn't aware there was no athletic wing to the NDP. Oh, there definitely is Well, Jagmeet. No? Jagmeet, yeah. Jagmeet is we're, the athletic wing. We're missing wing. the athlete. That's there you go. Yeah. 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 Jagmeet yeah. would have knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, he would have been like, I like all the sports. Uh, here are my favorite sports in order. Uh, wrestling, uh, MMA, uh, golf, uh, rugby, just basically like descending order of masculinity. There you yeah, go. It would have been good. Australian rules, football, you know, <laughs> heavy man, or, uh, weightlifting competition. WWE, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, the format, like coming back to that, was, was quite good, I think, in terms of content, also to, to, to sort of go into that. Uh, as you mentioned, a little light, uh, just because. Like Gwen said, no one really has a lot of policy out, which is like, I know people were like really like harping on the NDP about this, but like, it's the first debate of 10. Uh, the first debate of 10 is is your opening credits, right? Yes. Like it is a title sequence. You yeah. want to give everyone an introduction to you and your sort of overarching worldview and strategic vision. I don't think it would have been good for the debate to center on like, you know, what tax rates we should tax, you know, like, oil at, because we hate oil or whatever. 
Um, or, you know, wh- how soon should we make mandatory veganism a thing? Uh, that kind of thing, right? Sooner so, rather than oh, later. Oh, obviously, yeah. But, I mean, like, when you get into the timeline, that's when the details get tricky. Uh, but, no, I think that's fine. Like, I personally think, like, if, like, I was saying about Charlie Angus uh, to, to Gwendolyn and some other people after the debate, that was really good for a first debate because he basically spent the entire time selling himself and his charm rather than a sort of set of ideas. And I think that was fine for the first debate. I think if he's still doing that by the sixth debate, he's in more trouble. Uh, and sort of like, I, I think for like Geek at Home, he sort of started off heavier on the policy because I think that's his strategic angle is to say, I'm the policy wonk guy. Uh, look how like smart I am and how many cool policies I bring to the table, which is like setting out his vision and his sort of like path to victory. So I think that's fair. Uh, so, I wasn't as upset by the lack of specific policy details as other people. Do you think uh, there were any clear winners or losers coming out of this debate? You know, I don't think so. Um, and I think we, I mean, I think I definitely have such a warped view of it, having been um, following the race so closely and, uh, you know, and really tracking what the MPs are saying. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I'm in a spot to judge that. I think everyone played pretty well to their bases. I don't think anyone really lost voters that they'd already gotten. So it was a success for them. I would say Geek at Home was probably a winner in the sense that he came in with very low... Like, no one outside Quebec really knows him who isn't, like, really part of, like, the tight Ottawa circle in the party. Uh, So I think in that sense, I think he impressed people because his English is very good, his French is very good, obviously it's the first language, but he came away as pretty funny, pretty smart. Uh, I think he, he basically, like, left an impression on people who before had not had an impression of him. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Charlie was good in the sense that he was quite charming. Uh, as Etienne mentioned earlier, I thought Peter Julian was barely there. Uh, I, I was did not come away very impressed, and he was kind of set up to be one of the heavyweights of the race. So I think in that sense, that was probably disappointing for him. Uh, Nikki Ashton um, had her moments. She was her. She was herself. That was, I mean, to put it... I, I'm not a giant fan, so... Uh. I, I would just like to introduce myself as a feminist, eco-friendly, uh, eco, dog-loving... Dog intersectional, intersectional, eco-feminist. I feel like at Democratic some point... Democratic socialist, which is, I, I'm tight with. Like, Democratic socialism is tight. I but. think people overlook that, how big saying a Democratic socialist... No, I was cool it with was that. It's a huge move for her. Yeah. I feel um, at, she like, said some... That before? She said it at her launch, Okay, uh, but that was her first really public declaration. Okay. Well, and she was her. the only one to say the word socialist, too. Yeah, but th- I think that kind of... Leads us into what I think, like, if we can segue slightly into this, is what I think is the, the sort of strategic weakness of Nikki Ashton, is that she is very ha- happy to talk, like, 30,000-foot concepts and ideas, not very good at connecting them to people's everyday lives, in my personal experience, anyway. Like, in that debate, she basically talked about, like, the neoliberal agenda, I think, eight times, six times. You were counting. I, I, I think I had about five or six. Yeah. Um, which is, like, you know, great. I have, like, all three volumes of Capital sitting on my bookshelf six feet away, but, like... Um, that's not really how you talk to people who, like, don't follow political theory. Gwen is like, looking care. over at the bookshelf to try and confirm this claim. Yeah. What, what's our, what's our fact checker saying The three, the three volumes are, are right over there, yeah. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't that's, know. That's right over there. Yeah, there you go. It's on the bottom. Yeah. You hidden it from sight? Yeah, no, it's, I think it's quite proudly displayed. Okay. It's, uh, anyway. Uh, I, I feel enough like about my bookshelf. is always, like... One, like, misfiring of a neuron away from listing all the books, all the philosophy textbooks she's read in alphabetical order. Uh, like, midway through, I'm an eco-fat... <laughs> eco-fat. That's a different thing. <laughs> I'm an eco-feminist. 
Uh, also, I read Plato's The Republic. I believe in uh, Mach Machiavellian ethics, like just or no, no Nicom Nicomachean ethics. That's it. So yes. we're in Aristotle yes. now. Yeah. yeah, just on and on and on. Just she she's a big fan of lists. I would like that to uh, pay respect to you know BLM, Black Lives Matter. Um, the indigenous grounds that we're on, and then on, and then on, and then on. I think it, it's at a certain, certain point, the it spirit, just becomes yeah. The spirit is is obviously well intentioned and well taken. I think it sort of blunts the rhetorical impact of some of the stuff she's saying when she spends you know four minutes sort of on the asterisk portion of it. Yes. Um, but you know, I think that is inseparable from her whole shtick. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, closing this off, there's a couple other people um, who weren't in the debate. The obvious one being uh, Jagmeet Singh. Uh, but there's a couple others. Like, uh, Sid Ryan, I know, is the first one who comes to mind. Gwen, thoughts on Sid Ryan? Wow. Uh, you know, I think it was Craig Scott that tweeted my thoughts on Sid Ryan. Um, <laughs> just basically go away. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not impressed when a man says, yeah, I know I'm, I'm you know, not good enough to run without a woman behind me, so I'm going to find a woman. And it's... You know, if you're good enough just, to run, you're good enough to run. But if you can find a woman to prop you up, then she should probably be running. Yeah. Um, not that I'm convinced that he does have a woman to run with him yet, but... Yeah, it does seem like he had someone in mind. Um, the the gossip was that he had someone in mind who doesn't seem terribly interested. Yeah. Is, is there a hint at who this is for no can, one can, in the know? Can we say that? Uh, I think it's probably fine. I think I think the gossip is that he was thinking Ruth Ellen Brousseau. Okay. Um, but that seems yeah. to not be happening because, A, okay. she's, like, quite centrist. And Sid Ryan is not, um, and B, he just sucks. So no one wants anything to do with him. Uh, yeah. So you know. Tell me about the veterans, uh, former veterans ombudsman, oh, man. <laughs> the guerrilla guerrilla leader, the real star candidate in this race. Yeah. So Pat Stogren is appointed uh, veterans ombudsman by uh, by Stephen Harper. Uh, by all accounts, did a fine job in, in that role. Mm -hmm. He runs a consulting business, a former like military guy. And he runs a consulting business now called um, the Rebel Gorilla. Yep. Which is uh, sorry, the interns fell off a shelf, guys. <laughs> um, the Rebel Gorilla, which is uh, like leadership training, consulting, like um, gorilla leadership, like the Gorilla Path, that sort of thing. Yeah, but not like you not, say that as if people should know what the Gorilla Path yeah, is. The, and I, have, I have no not, idea. Not, not in the that sense of like about it, you know. Not not in the sense of you know like uh, irregular warfare, <laughs> but in the sense of of great apes. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is interesting. I'm not really sure what that is all about. What uh, uh, What would someone Google to find his website? Because his website is <laughs> phenomenal. It is The Rebel Gorilla. The Rebel Gorilla. It is an amazing website. The merch is incredible, though sold out, which is tragic. I think me and Etienne will both be loading up. It's uh, a real fundraising opportunity. It is a great... And I will, I will do that, because uh, I want Rebel Gorilla merch. He seems sort of like one of these candidates who's running as a self-promotion tool. I know in one of the uh, MP or in one of the ridings I've previously worked in, there was a candidate who effectively ran every time and used it as an opportunity to plug his herbal supplements and like paralegal business. Like literally every time he'd be there and in the debates, of course, he has to be included. So he'd be talking about, you know, his business experience and his phenomenal herbal supplements that he sells and how wonderful they are. It sort of seems along these lines. It seems like the guy, I will I will be honest from having creeped his, deep creeped his social media and looked at his website, I do not think this is a guy that has the, like, business or social media savvy or cunning to think <laughs> that he can get away with that or even have that occur to him. Although he does have a book out. 
if you are interested in reading his thoughts on... Uh, yeah. He has a very cute dog, also, that appears in many of his Twitter photos. Apollo is a cute dog, yeah. yeah. Apollo, very Apollo. nice. I need to start following this guy on Twitter. Yeah. What, uh, he goes by, by P, the at symbol. Okay. Pat, which is clever. Pat. Pat. What's the uh, what's the buy-in to the NDP leadership race? It's thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. And it has to be submitted before you can debate. Yeah. Okay. So thirty thousand dollars is a self-promotion tool. There's there's worse investments, I suppose. Well, and it's not his money, right? So. Yeah. Exactly. Fundraise it. Yeah. Someone, as Margaret Thatcher said, you know, someone else's money, something along those lines, which is also how investment capital works. So the I'm not problem really... with socialism is yeah. you run out of spending. Other That's also money. the problem with Uber, for instance. But uh, anyway. So the joke there is that they're wildly unprofitable and rely on venture capital to basically keep the lights on. I mean, that's so. a, that's every tech firm. Yes, that's, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not edge. really a problem unique to socialism at all. It's, it's the structure. It's the nature of investment when you're unprofitable. Anyway, moving on from, from basic economic problems. And then there was uh, a good story in the Globe Mail about uh, another candidate. Um, forgive me for not knowing the details of this one. But oh, an, Brian an Graff? Is that his name? Floyd individual who was seeking it and had been an NDP member for seven months and got shut down by the Green Light Committee. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, that one is unfortunate that he wasn't given the reasons for being excluded. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, in the interest of our democracy that he know why he I, I said this on Twitter. Run. I think his, like, case... I, I personally am quite un- unsympathetic to this guy because I think he says some stuff. I, I, I find a lot of people who are former liberals who joined the NDP for seven months and think, oh, I'm going to be leader now. It's like, okay, all right. But uh, he did get sh- shot down by the, the Greenlight Committee and uh, was given 48 hours to appeal without being given the reasons for which he was turned down, which seems like it's hard to conduct an appeal when you're not exactly sure what you're appealing. And I think parties are important enough a part of our democratic process that there should be some basic procedural fairness in place for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm sympathetic to that argument, uh, though once again, no sympathy for the guy himself. I think he sounds like kind of a dick. On but. the other hand, I have no idea what they did turn up on the background check. I'm I sure it was colorful. The guy seems like he would turn up some stuff on a background check. He also but, has uh, an interesting website. Does he? Yeah, Comic Sans is kind of the, the common denominator now. Comic oh, yeah. Sans. Yes. Yeah, Rebel oh, yeah. Guerrilla <laughs> Commander also has a, quite a bit of uh, Comic, Comic Sans, Sans going. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I want to live in a world without Comic Sans, so... I mean, it really, it's keep, a great indicator for people who just don't really get it. So, I think that, in that sense, it's very good. It's like, you I've, see someone doing Comic Sans, you're like, oh, okay, I don't have to take this person seriously. Like, they don't get it. For the record, I don't think I've seen any Comic Sans on any of the leadership websites in the Conservative Party. But have you seen Deepak's, uh, Deepak's MP site? Not his leadership site, but his constituency site. It has, like, flashing GIFs and Does stuff. it? Hell yeah. yeah. His, uh, his mail-out is actually pretty good, too. It's called the D-Package, or the D-Pack-Age, depending Dude, on where, so you add the, uh, where you add the emphasis. Nice. And where all the other candidates rely on sort of these, like, the modern fundraising email, which is, like, tagline, and then, like, no paragraphs, just, like, line, line, yeah. line, line, line. We should really set up a Twitter account that just retweets all of those. That could be good. The uh, the D-Pack Age, however, is, like, a newsletter from, like, 1995 at sort of the, the infancy of the internet. Where it's it's made in like plain text and it's like as bare bones and like terrible as humanly yeah. imaginable. I do They're, like his style. You know, he has the scarves. He has the retro chic internet the uh, internet formatting. Yeah. Yeah. He does. We'll see if he where he lands in the first you know five candidates Might get him knocked, to the top. knocked off the ballot. To, to wrap up on on leadership races near and far. Uh, I think I think we'd come to the conclusion that yeah the the NDP debate was was pretty good good television if you want to watch it it's actually not bad. 
Uh, the next one is next weekend. Sunday. And Sunday is, in Montreal. That is, is the March, youth debate. March 26th. The youth debate. It is. It is hosted by the YND, of which I am treasurer. Yeah, so after that, Gwendolyn will be able to have opinions publicly. Yeah, so no. it'll be good. I've not endorsed and do not endorse any candidates. Yeah, so maybe after next week. We'll maybe. See. Is, that, is that when you become unshackled and you're... I mean, I like I quite legitimately have no preference right now. Um, I'd be happy with any of them. Oh, any of the declared candidates. Also. <laughs> <laughs> I have to so say. not not an endorsement for Gorilla Man there I, or Sid Ryan. I think I, you know we all deserve a chance to see them speak first. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really curious to see how this debate goes. Yeah. There, there are nine more. It's a long haul. It is a long haul. So NDP leadership race uh, currently boxed and ready to go uh, after our delicious takeout meal. Perfect. Enjoyed. Gwendolyn, you were uh, at Equal Voices Daughters of the Vote event. Yes. Do you want to start by explaining what that is? Yes. So Daughters of the Vote was a historic opportunity for roughly 338 young women from across the country uh, to come in and physically take their seats in the House of Commons. So everyone was assigned a riding. Um, a riding. Um, yeah, we basically, we sat in the House of Commons. We heard from the Prime Minister. We heard from Kim Campbell. Um, there were a couple of days of workshops and learning, uh, a lot of networking. Uh, yeah, and it really just came down to uh, to filling the House of Commons with a bunch of female-identified people, um, which has never been done before. Uh, at least 30 of the writings have never had women sit in those seats before. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the statistics I saw uh, that I think was incredibly significant was that 338 represents more women than have ever been elected yes. uh, to the House of Commons. Yeah, there are more daughters of the vote than there are female MPs. Throughout history, yeah, Yeah. that's Um, pretty insane. Yeah, and we also had, I think, the first, the first several women in hijabs to sit in the house. The first trans person and the first trans woman, Um, and I think that, yeah. Do you have any? Do you so that that sets up a bit of the background and some of the the actual, I think, quite positive uh, things that that entailed. Do you have any sort of thoughts on how perhaps that could have been improved or that you had any reflections on? Because frankly, you are much better qualified to talk about this than we are. Uh, And, you know, while I think we we both probably have opinions, uh, we'll we'll sort of give you the floor. Well, I'm happy to hear the outsider perspective, too. Um, But yeah, no, it was it was a fantastic opportunity to meet all those other young uh, young women and other delegates. Um, And that sort of hints at the problems with it, that it was assumed that everyone was female and female identified. Um, I think most many Canadians saw the speeches that were made in the House of Commons. They saw the news coverage uh, the following days and the following weeks. It's still going. Um, so I think we really heard from a lot of young women um, and a, lo- a lot of young activists who are really ready to change politics um, and sort of break down these systems that have been holding us back for so long. Um, but there were, you know, I, I do admire Equal Voice for putting on the event. Um, I thank them for the opportunity for having come, but there were a lot of problems with the way it was run. Um, there were a lot of assumptions that were made about, um, you know, people's abilities, people's understanding of politics. Um, so the best example of that is really uh, the One Empty Seat initiative. There was one delegate, uh, Erzu, who was given a seat, was offered the chance to come to Ottawa and decided that she um, wished to leave her seat empty in order to recognize women and particularly women in politics who have been victims of sexual violence and harassment. And it was just an absolutely massive uphill battle to get equal voice to let her leave that seat empty, um, to get media attention to speak about the issue, um, and just to let this, you know, this young woman who is very engaged and very passionate about politics uh, bring what she had to the table. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, she was able to leave her seat empty. Several media outlets reported on it, and that was all fantastic. Um, but there was really no recognition of the actual challenges that women face in politics throughout the event. So there are a lot of panels that talked about motherhood and how you can be a mother and have it all. Um, and no one ever sat us down and said, you know, you will be harassed, you will be assaulted, you can't have it all, you can't be a full-time mom. I mean, I can see why they would, like, not want to do that, because it is, like, an immense downer. It is, but it was, you know, it was four days of really positive, you can do it, look how far you've come. And then we had a bunch of, you know, our the Prime Minister came and spoke. Um, and then we had Sophie Gregoire Trudeau come and speak about... Did she have uh, Justin Trudeau's hand? She did. She did actually speak about how, you know, she's so proud to be raising a feminist son and men are really important in her life. What type um, of feminist do you think Justin Trudeau is? Second wave, maybe. Ah, you're um, right. Yeah. Etienne actually is surprisingly very, uh, very, very uh, literate on feminism. Actually, more than me, frankly. But, yeah. Uh, just you know, good for him. Yeah. So it was just, you know, and then she also went off about, uh, you know, how we're all mothers, even if we don't have children. And she referenced wombs at some point. Um, so it's just a very a cis white feminist view of, you know, yeah. of course you're going to be a mother, but you can make a space for politics, uh, which is just, yeah. I don't think that's which what Which is kind of, the, it's the equal voice ideology, though, in a sense. It is. And, you know, I was thinking about it, and maybe it's just the age gap, that these are the women running equal voice are women who were never given sort of the freedom to think, you know, I don't need to be a mother. I can do what I want. I can be single for my whole life. Um, and... You know, of course, my impression was that none of them were queer. They were all straight, cis, overwhelmingly white women. Um, so I think, yeah, there was a real generational gap there. And kudos yeah. to them for bringing in a large number of queer and uh, racialized and indigenous delegates as well. Yeah. So my pushback on that, in slight defense of equal voice, although I have no vested interest in this, is it perhaps that there's sort of a lack of that population in sort of established policy senior positions from sort of this generational time i think that probably is true on the other hand i don't want to speak for one here but uh, i think that probably there is a certain amount of that but on the other hand you can find people if you're looking for them yeah you can definitely find people i mean cabinet is 50 percent female so it's not as though we're missing but it's 50 percent white cis or not white sorry cisgendered like it is female and yeah i mean to me the big black mark is that they recognize the need to bring in a large number of queer delegates and it was you know 20 percent of the women were indigenous which is wow. beyond what that's the really good population actually. is yeah. Yeah. yeah um so they knew that that was the right thing to do but then they didn't think how can we make sure these women are actually safe and comfortable and yeah. uh, address what they really believe and what they want to know yeah well and there wasn't i guess a, a looking in the mirror and thinking perhaps our like sort of leadership structure needs to sort of reflect that too yes yeah yeah and so we are they do have board elections coming up we're hoping to get some some younger more diverse folks on that board um but yeah i think you know you always need to be very self-critical when you're doing any sort of um social justice work or advocacy work uh, and i think that was really lacking on their part yeah that seems fair yeah. etienne uh next item on the agenda jason no. kenny i'm uh the, st- the snack pack? King of the snack pack? <laughs> no. I, I mean, Jason Kenny is on the agenda, but just uh, finishing off on Gwendolyn's comments there, I'm, I'm very tempted to bring up the uh, to the left, to the left incident. Ooh. <laughs> that, that moan really... Uh, okay, let's give it a minute. ...really belies. Uh, but I, I think it is an important thing to know, and I think it's something that made a lot of social media traction. And got some media, but sort of none of none of the like cover pages of the Globe or any of these 
what sort of made the second string of media, which is of course like us, for instance, for like us or uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, among other uh, other major major outlets covered it. Uh, the Toronto Star had a couple of good pieces on it. Uh, Rex Murphy wrote a piece on it. I on visit. The, I rolled my eyes quite heavily there. Sorry <laughs> for for the benefit of listeners. I do enjoy. Uh, I do enjoy Rex Murphy. I really don't. I Continue. Up, I grew up listening to Cross Country Checkup. I am uh, an adamant Rex Murphy fan. Um, talk about Nikki Ashton and her uh, being uh, sort of. I don't. I don't know what the proper term to use here is. Called out. I guess. I, I was gonna say. Yeah, called out for cultural appropriation. Yeah. By by uh, BLM Vancouver. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is Black Lives Matter, uh, for using a social media graphic that stated "to the left, to the left," um, which is a Beyonce lyric. Yes, yes. Uh, I know next to nothing about music, but apparently it has to do with the song Irreplaceable. And indeed. Um, there have been a lot of takes on this. Um, I don't know that I have all that much to add to the conversation. Yeah. I feel like uh, Rex Murphy, among others, have really represented my perspective on this. Uh, do you guys have any takes on it as to how the NDP walks the line between... Uh, sort of the social justice side of it as well as sort of appealing to more mainstream and sort of where the balance is. I was not super, super enthused with Nikki Ashton taking down the post. I thought it was, first of all, I, I think if you don't think that you did anything wrong, you shouldn't capitulate to like whatever person telling you that, because I think even a lot of people would say, no, they don't think that this is cultural appropriation, but... And they make quite good points in the but section of that argument, um, which I think I'm, I'm often sympathetic to, and I think the NDP could do a much better job at reaching out to people of color um, and racialized people, and, like, it is a very white party, and Nikki Ashton is a very white person, because uh, who else quotes Beyonce lyrics as part of a political campaign? <laughs> that is unbelievably white. Um, I don't think what she did was cultural appropriation. I think that there is a certain part of her shtick that adopts a lot of... Um, vocabulary from heavily racialized social movements that I think she identifies with. So to some degree, I don't know how you separate that out. I think I find the notion of cultural appropriation in general to be quite hard to unpack uh, in that, you know, who decides what is and isn't cultural appropriation? Like, when are you cultural appropriating? When are you not? Who gets to pick whether you are or aren't? And there are, there are just, like, the yoga thing, I think, is a really good example. People say, some people say yoga is cultural appropriation. The University of uh, yeah, Ottawa, University of Ottawa I think, does the fact that the Indian government deliberately promoted <laughs> yoga abroad, uh, does that complicate things? Like, I don't know. I, I really think that it's a very, very, very difficult concept to nail down. So I have you know, issues with it on a purely, like, philosophical basis. My, yeah, my 10 second take of it is that Beyonce is someone is commercial, with a... commercial, right? Well, not, not that she's commercial, but... Well, which, which she is. <laughs> but she's someone with a large enough platform yeah. that if she wants to, in fact, a larger, a substantially larger platform than Nikki yeah. Ashton, so that if she wants to defend the use of her lyrics, yeah, she has that capacity. Yeah. To have... A organization claim, uh, make that claim on her behalf, I think is a little bit weird. Okay, I'm going to push back here. Do it. Um, it is so not about Beyonce. It is like 
just let's start with that. It's not about Beyonce. It's not about hurting Beyonce Knowles' career or anything like that. I think she's fine, yeah. She's, she's <laughs> doing okay. Um, no, but the issue, I'm going to provide the butt to your story. Yeah, no, and I, I thought we, we had this conversation the other day, and I thought your butt was actually quite we compelling. We did, yeah. So the issue to so me to is that um, Nikki did use Beyonce's lyrics on several occasions. She has used several other lyrics from black artists and um, like black slang, and she has taken that into her vocabulary. Um, I will say, you know, we're a group of three white people sitting around the table, so we're not, you know, I've seen, a, I've, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of commentary. Speaking from lived experiences. Yeah, 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 I've seen a lot of excellent commentary from, from racialized <clears throat> There was actually a very good piece in Throne of Star that I thought was, like, quite sympathetic, quite even-handed. Yeah, so, uh, I'll actually put that in the show notes because it was really good. Yeah, um, but I think the issue here is that Black Lives Matter reached out and said, we feel hurt by what you're doing. We feel that you are stealing what yeah. we have produced, what we have come up with, and you're not dealing, you know, you're not give, offering us anything. Your platform doesn't have anything in it for us. You haven't explicitly said this is my plan to address uh, black ra- um, uh, black racism in Canada, so I think it is on Nikki, if not to say, of course I'm entirely wrong, then to say I see that you're hurt and I'm going to take down what's hurting you so we can have an honest conversation yeah. about what happened. But I think the honest conversation part of that is really important, and I feel like to some degree there was a bit of just like knee jerk like okay, but like I, if this if something productive comes of this, I will be very happy. And I think, I think it is how has. I, if, I really come and down. If you, on. I mean, I know the coverage was all. Oh, they said she's racist. Oh, she took it down. Did she give in? Um, but if you actually go back and read the tweets, which is how they were interacting yeah. at first, Black Lives Matter Vancouver. It was pretty was, low key, and it, yeah, yeah, they were honestly reaching out, and she did take it down and apologize, and they thanked her for that and pointed out some more steps she could take. Yeah. Um, and I hope that they have taken it behind the scenes. They're having an open conversation about what she can do to support them. My take on this, uh, <laughs> Etienne take number three, <laughs> <laughs> is is quite a bit different. I think, um, to your point, uh, she hasn't released any policy or anything along these lines, as, as we've noted yeah, already so earlier, is that no, no policy has really been taken on many issues, if, if hardly any, at this point, because the race is so, um, so much in its infancy. Um, but there's very much the question, this is sort of the, of, of course, it's going to come as somewhat ridiculous uh, to the audience coming from me. But, <laughs> infamous but, but taking a group from Vancouver trying to speak on the behalf of, you know, members of the racialized community as well as Beyonce and making... <laughs> to be perfectly clear, Black Lives Matter Vancouver, I do not believe, was trying to speak for Beyonce. But it is. <laughs> Are they? It is. It's, advoca- it's, it's advocating to protect the cultural product of Beyonce or another artist. So it's saying we are going to try and uh, keep this within our sphere, saying you are not entitled to use this because you haven't hit the bar. So that, that's where I think it's sort of bizarre. Because when you talk about tokenism uh, in these issues, often one of the first things uh, that comes up in these conversations is, say, there's the token uh, racialized minority in the group, and you'll say, hey, what's your opinion on you know Jewish issues or black issues or indigenous issues and they say something and the the common response is i don't feel properly placed to speak on behalf of you know my entire community or my entire cultural group or things along these lines so i always think there's sort of an interesting tension when these groups when groups form that then purport to do this and purport to defend the interests of other members within their groups especially without the explicit endorsement of the members they're defending. 
it's a bit of a constitutive problem, and I, I touched on this earlier. I, this is why I am I'm happy that a hopefully a good conversation about racial issues will come of this within the NDP leadership race. However, like I said, I am just kind of philosophically skeptical about cultural appropriation because of the sort of constitutive issues and the representational issues of who gets to decide what is and isn't cultural appropriation. Yeah, so I think Black Lives Matter doesn't claim to speak for literally every black person in I, Canada. No, no, I don't think, not, no, I don't think they do. That, but they do. Uh, so when they say, you know, this hurt us, we don't think that you have earned the right to use our words, we don't think that you respect us enough to be saying this. Um, I think everyone can acknowledge that they're yeah. speaking from their own experience and yeah, from their own sure. organizing capacity as a successful group within Canada. Yeah. Um, and I think Nikki knows that as well, right? So I don't, you know, we don't look at the government of Canada and say, oh, how dare you claim to speak for all Canadians. Um, they've taken it upon themselves to yes. represent us as Black Lives Matter Vancouver has to represent, uh, you know, the black community in Vancouver. But like... Once again, I think there there is a some uh, far of it for me to stick up for the authority of the state here, but a uh, at least formally democratic government and a Twitter account with seven hundred fifty followers is a bit of an order of magnitude and difference. Uh, I just speaking yeah. for a recording artist centered in the United States, uh, well, protecting the, protecting the, the cultural thing. property of a song that was written by white. Was it Norwegian men or something along those lines? I also lines? don't think it was the Beyonce thing. Because their point was not you used Beyonce's lyrics. It was we've identified all these different instances where you've used that, many different types yeah, and of that, I, I, I didn't find that, that yeah. in the chain as, as far as I read. That I think is a more fair point. I think if it was just that in isolation, it would have been a little weird. I think like you're right that she does actually use a lot of sort of lingo. Like, from do, you have, the, do you have examples of this? Like, she'll say, like, well, she says woke a lot. And you say woke a lot. I do say woke a lot, so apologies uh, for last, anyone I've offended or hurt. The last similar post she'd made about her campaign uh, had just been the words boy by, which is also an appropriation. Boy yeah. by? Yeah. What's, what's that it's even It's another mean? Beyonce song. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, so I, that's, I don't do music. That's, that's like seven more minutes than we needed. No, actually, you know what? That was a good conversation. That was a good conversation. I'm, I'm glad we did that. That was actually, I think, well handled given, uh, given the thorniness of that particular issue. Jason Kenny. Jason Kenny. Okay, so the... yesterday, the Snack Pack King. Uh, <laughs> no, yester- one, no one knows that nickname anymore. You're going to but... you're gonna have to explain it. Um, so Jason Kenny was running for the leadership of the PC Party of Alberta, PC Association of Alberta, rather. Um, uh, yeah, that's what's the PC Association. Okay, PC, yeah, now you yeah. know. Um, which is, of course, one of Alberta's two conservative parties, Ish. though some people would disagree, like Etienne. Um, the Liberal Party of Alberta. That's actually broadly fair. Um, and they've been government for the last 40 years, minus the last two, uh, when the NDP 40, took office. It's more than that. I think it's 43 to 45. 40-ish yeah. years uh, when the NDP won Accuracy an election. Accuracy yeah, That's true. It's important. Uh Won an election two years ago and has been government since. Uh, of course, a, a unite the right effort has been a big component, uh, the, the component of his campaign. Um, so now there will sort of be a, a standoff with the other conservative party, the real conservative parties, Alberta, or as Etienne would say, uh, the Wild Rose Party. So Etienne, do you want to, do you have any thoughts? As the token conservative in the room, <laughs> and I'm including... Are you speaking for all conservatives? Uh, I am, and I'm including uh, Hugo the intern in that. Yeah. Hugo's um, a libertarian, for the record. The... So Jason Kenny winning, a lot of the sort of PC party stalwarts um, as this process ramped up. Uh, there was a big effort to shut him out there by was a any means necessary. Big effort. They basically tried to rig the race against him. Yeah. 
and they underestimated how much Jason Kenney is a literal force of nature when it comes to politics. Well, especially think, conservative movement politics. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think there's anyone in Canada who comes close to matching him in terms of politics. Yeah. There was Which a, is weird, because he is like a charismaless guy. I disagree with that. He's, he's actually incredibly well articulated, and he's probably one of the best communicators in Canada. Long outreach effort. Yeah. To uh, different minority communities, uh, literally across Canada. Yeah, the curry in a hurry phenomenon. Which is, yeah, the, the nickname. of multiculturalism. Yeah, the nickname he got was because he spent years literally going from event to event, um, meeting everyone in these communities, communities that had never been spoken to by the government before, yeah. had never met a minister of the crown. Never met a conservative. Or, or a conservative <laughs> doing, indig or uh, not indigenous, but uh, ethnic media in these communities. Yeah being in the local Chinese association's paper, the Persian association. And I, I saw on Twitter that after having won the leadership today or yesterday, he was at a Nauru's dinner uh, with the Persian uh, with the Persian community. Yeah. Like the man does, he does, not he does outreach. No, yeah. he, he is absolutely relentless and he spent most of his past months on an outreach tour across Alberta uh, in a blue Dodge Ram. And he absolutely obliterated all the PC candidates. It was not even race. close. Yeah. It was it was seventy five percent on the first ballot, yeah. and it was in a system of uh, delegates that was supposed to be rigged against him. Yeah, because to put some context there, it previously or in the last two leadership elections, uh, they have been one member, one vote. So basically, anyone there was a phenomenon of Tories for a day when basically liberal, you know, basically left of center people would buy PC memberships to vote for a leader. Yeah, Alison uh, Redford yeah. won on the strength of union votes yeah. because she promised unions like the teachers' union substantial pay increases. Right, and as Ed Stelmack was kind of a similar phenomenon. Uh, yeah, he cut up the middle, yeah. sort of on the Stefan Zion-esque. Yeah, yeah, but he, right there were like it. people to the right of him, Yeah, substantially. Yeah, Ed, Ed Stelmack also made promises to the teachers' union yeah. and got them all to vote. So this is, this is, I think, the first time a like real real right-winger has won the leadership, and especially because Ralph Klein was seen as the liberal in the race in the 90s when he ran. Once upon a time. Yeah, once upon a time. He proved them wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, but this has been the first time an avowed right-of-center person has won the PC leadership since Getty, maybe? Yeah, al yeah. along those lines. Because Peter Lougheed is a communist well, by today's actually, standards, so... <laughs> I, I would take that back. I would uh, look at Jim Prentice. Uh, I, I'd say Jim Prentice fits that mold as well. He's perhaps a little more right wing. Yeah. Or sorry, sorry, left wing. Than than Kenny. Than but, Kenny. But yeah, but certainly he, to the right of Kenny. He's L still uh, somewhere past Delmac and uh, Yeah, South that's fair. Harvard. So uh, thoughts on the implications of this? Um looking at the competition, the upcoming competition between uh, Brian Jean and Jason Kenny, I think once again Jason Kenny is destined to overcome this. Also I saw today that our old friend, friend of the show, Nick Cavallis is uh, going to be on uh, Brian Jean's campaign. Really? That's what I've heard. So I have not seen that, well, nor can I confirm these rumors. I we no we will see. We will see if he, if Brian Jean starts calling people cucks, I suppose. <laughs> that will be our sign. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, Brian Jean is actually my hometown MP. Um, but within the Wild Rose, there have been tensions and fracture lines. Indeed. Between the Derek Fildebrandt yeah. side between of the, the party. The we hate taxes wing and the Pepe wing of the party. I'm not sure there is a Pepe wing. Yeah, Derek Fildebrandt is the Pepe wing. No, he's very much the I hate taxes wing. Take the red pill, Derek. Hey, that, that was Maxim. You, you leave Derek out of this. No, Derek is very much the... He also hates taxes. Is very much the fiscal conservative. Yeah. 
Uh, despite some of his errors in the past, he's not I in my in my limited take of uh, Alberta politics since he's been around. Because he's actually from Ontario. He's not from Alberta. Um, is that he's not the social conservative wing of the party. He's heavy. But he doesn't strike me as social he's, conservative in the like Bible thumping way. He strikes me as like he's Pepe conservative. Heavily like... fiscal conservative. I don't know that he's I don't know what you mean by okay, Pepe well, conservative. We'll I'm not I, gonna, I think you know I'm what I mean. I'm not gonna use the term Pepe conservative. I think you know what I mean and by if Pepe conservative. I were to use the term, I don't think I would apply it to Derek Fildebrand. We will see what happens with Derek Fildebrand. Um but that being said, if uh, the tensions go through the Wild Rose Party, I don't think all of the party will line up with Gene. I think a heavy amount of the party, including Derek Fildebrandt, will line up with Jason Kenney. That seems likely. And I think Jason Kenney will win literally any race he has thrown into at this point. With in, conservatives. In conservatives. Yeah. I like. I, I think it'll be a complete He does wash. seem to be a machine in conservative politics. Yeah, he's yeah. absolutely unstoppable. So yeah. I think he will lead, uh, as long as it's technically possible, a united uh, right-wing Alberta yeah. party circa the next election. Yeah. And um, then it's going to be an uphill climb for uh, it'll be our, our plucky boys and girls. Not, the not only versus Kenny for the battle of the soul of Alberta to see just how progressive Alberta has become yes. over the past uh, five years. Yeah, and even I think election aside, I think like if Jason Kenny wants to start repealing all the stuff Rachel Notley's done, carbon tax aside, like I think the like transgender protections, the fifteen dollar minimum wage, labor protection for farm workers, and I know left wing people like in my own party shit on Rachel Notley a lot for being like hawkish on pipelines, and like I think some of that is deserved. They act like the Alberta NDP has done literally nothing good, which to me is incredibly frustrating because like Alberta was missing like basic labor protections. Uh, like tra- transgender protections, they've done a lot to like kind of fight a lot of bigotry in the religious schools in Alberta. Frankly, I think the Alberta NDP has done quite a lot. They don't get enough credit from the broad Canadian left because I think the broad Canadian left gets very fucking snooty about pipelines and needs to kind of get over itself. <laughs> yeah, no, they've made Alberta a hell of a lot safer for yeah. for queer children in so, particular. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing can be said for Kathleen Wynne, and yeah. the left treats her the same way. Yeah. Well, I think like I think people are more prepared to say that Kathleen Wynne has done good things. Uh, whereas, like, I think you hear a lot from, like, out, like, NDPers that, like, Rich Notley is, like, a, a traitor who has done nothing good. Uh, whereas people say, oh, like, Kathleen Wynne is quite socially progressive. And, like, they'll, they'll, they will actually give lip service to that. Yeah. Before trashing her on the, like, admittedly pretty bad shit that Kathleen Wynne has done. So, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I find that really frustrating. So, like, fuck you guys if you are a lefty who thinks that Rich Notley has done nothing good. Uh, yeah, go fuck yourself. Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's the take of the day. <laughs> um, she's not perfect, but like she's done good stuff. We're gonna lose two subscribers. Because <laughs> of you. Yeah, all the two angry lefties. Um, Etienne, uh, snack pack. You wanna explain that? Just we've been teasing it all episode. Oh, see, I don't even. I was too young to really, really appreciate the etymology of this. Um, but well, it's just because they were doughy, unmarried. It's, it's, it's on the Wikipedia page. It was, yeah. I think, five conservatives who were larger. And uh, all from Alberta, and they were young at the time. I think Jason yeah. Kenney was first elected when he was like 26 or 27. Yeah. He's an, really sticking it to the public sector. An inspiration to all of us 27 uh, year olds who want to get into politics um, and has had a phenomenal career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see how things develop in Alberta. There's yeah. a hell of a lot to happen in the it's, next It's going to be a lot of, of news for us year, to dissect. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they can do it in two years? Do I think they can? Um, I haven't done a deep enough dive into Alberta political law or political rules. As I understand, that's one of sort of the ba- one of the barriers here, 
is that there is no mechanism for mergers in yeah. law. Well, I think it kind of like dissolve, or like not even dissolve, but just like create a new one and just sort of ignore the other two or something. But, or yeah. somehow bridge the PC party into the Wild Rose yeah. and then do a race there. But it, it's a little technically complicated. Yeah. But they um, have lawyers. But so based, they'll figure it out. Based on money, it well, it seems like the goal would be to bridge into the Wild Rose. Because there's no way to keep funding otherwise. Right. All, all the money that you'd save would just be returned, I presume, to the uh, federal treasury or the provincial treasury. Yeah. Uh, and so... Which would be immensely funny. Which, which would be immensely funny, but the Wild Rose is the less... Uh, or is the more wealthy of the two parties. And so there's incentive to go to the Wild Rose. Yeah. I, I saw, uh, sort of as a side note, I saw a couple pictures of checks... Of uh, PC Association EDAs, yeah, they're dissolving, Do- donating, yeah. donating their money all to charities, yeah. in, in spite, effectively, as a sort of final stand. But yeah, that's it, kind of funny. It, it's sort of a token, uh, token measure because the goal is to have them never run another election. Yeah, and so that money would either return to the government or be donated. It's not really a big sort of sticking it to Kenny because Kenny wants to jump on the Wild Rose and then use their resourcing. So yeah. What, what can you do? Yeah. So any anything else on the agenda today? Yeah, the last one on the agenda. How are we doing for time? We've got we've got a few more minutes to slip it in here. All right. Is parliamentary reform? Parliamentary reform. We, we teased this last episode, so we're we running out of time. But I feel like we should talk about this. We'll, we'll keep it brief. Um, the uh, liberal government has released a white paper on parliamentary reform, including uh, a bunch of different measures uh, such as electronic voting, Friday sittings. Um, eliminating Friday sittings. Yes, eliminating Friday sittings. um, Prime Minister's question period that they're all pitching. And sort of the idea of a white paper is to sort of put these things in the window, have them debated and discussed, see what public reaction is, and then you take it and try and push forward with the more popular of the reforms. Yeah. So there have been some pushback on this from uh, some journalists such as Katie O'Malley and some others. Who, as well as I think both opposition parties, what was the NDP's take on parliamentary reform? Uh, they were particularly mad about limiting uh, opposition opportunities to bring forward legislation. I can yeah. see why that would be a sticking Oddly point for enough, opposition parties. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they always want to do some work. So the thing to keep in mind as you read over this, I think efficiency is mentioned a couple of times, or yeah. things approximating efficiency. Balancing efficiency and opposition's right to be heard is a phrase that comes up quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the power of opposition parties in Parliament comes through measures of obstruction. Yeah. Uh, filibusters being the most obvious one, but a whole bunch of parliament uh, procedural games and procedural tricks. And so anything that indicates efficiency generally... Diminishes the power of the opposition. Yeah, and so getting opposition support on a lot of these will be very difficult. There's some other measures in here, such as electronic voting, that are more towards the history of the institution, like having members literally stand and vote in a cumbersome process that takes about half an hour. Yeah, as opposed to sort of a who wants to be a millionaire style, like pull the audience, be done in yeah. twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a mixed bag, but. Personally, none of the um, ones I've read am I very much in favor of. I would be okay with electronic voting. People can do it from their constituencies. No. I, I frankly no. Think, yeah, I'm fine with it. I think, I think time spent in Ottawa is a lot of the time time wasted. So what about least. Friday settings then? Friday settings, I'm like kind of neutral, but like wouldn't be sad to see them go. I don't think a lot of useful stuff gets done in them. So okay, but Electronic voting, don't you think it would just become 
the Liberal Party gets however many seats it has in voting codes and then votes for everyone. Isn't that, like, already basically what happens 90% no. of the no. time anyway? the people don't show up. Yeah, that's it's true, telling. but, like, they, they have enough, except if Andrew Leslie's not doing his job that day, they have enough people to win a vote. So, if you want to talk about informed MPs and MPs voting on behalf of their constituents and things along these lines, if you're forcing an MP to come to Parliament to stand and meet in the lobby beforehand as the bells go off. Yeah. And then there's an opportunity for them to ask the uh, lobby assistant or the other MPs there, like, oh, what are we voting on? Because a lot of people might be surprised to know that, like, it's they have, generally have no idea. They, they could be in a meeting across town and say, bells are ringing, come vote. Yeah. And they have no idea what they're voting on at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they get to Parliament and they talk with their colleagues and it's like, oh, we're voting on this. As opposed to, you know, a pager... That's in their pocket and buzzes, and it says, "Press the red button for voting with the party." You don't, you don't think that sort of has a dangerous precedent of tokenizing voting substantially more so than it is? It doesn't honestly sound very different to me in practice. I just think a lot of people are very in love with like the West Wing aesthetic of it, and like the whole like, "Ah, yes, we must uh, like crowd into the chamber." And uh, I, I just, I, I think it's pure sentimentality. Like, and Katie O'Malley, like as much as Katie is, is great, is like very very sentimental about the institution of parliament which like i just don't think like deserves it and is like much more a place of business than i think people like to think so i don't know i like i i'm not really going to be steamed if none of this stuff goes through on the other hand a lot of this stuff sounds like broadly fine i mean not all of it i have some some thoughts about like omnibus bills that they seem to want to make a little easier uh the management of committee stuff sounds sounds fine like, they want to make committees a little more permanent, it seems like. Can I speak in defense of omnibus bills? Go ahead. They make a lot of sense in... When you uh, have a limited legislative calendar? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely they do. Like, it's an efficiency versus discussion trade-off. It's yes. Exactly, it's like everything else. The number one thing people discount until they're actually in the system and trying to decide how they're going to get bills through in, you know, April, and a bill still has to go through... Uh, third reading and then the Senate and all of these things that these things are meticulously scheduled to try and get the absolute most out of the legislative calendar. And one of the tools that allows this to be done is omnibus bills. If you break up omnibus bills, like obviously there's you can abuse omnibus bills but the existence of them in in theory is incredibly useful. If you want to do a minor amendment to this act, But you don't want to take up, you know, 20 hours of parliamentary time putting through a small amendment to one act that needs to be done. Yeah. Omnibus bills make a lot of that sense. That makes a ton of sense to me. I, like, I don't have a problem with the idea of omnibus bills. It's just that they are often abused, which is like, just elect less shitty governments, I think, is the only real, like... <laughs> only what we what type have. of less yeah. shitty government would I you mean, guys honestly, advocate? Like, I, I would say, oh, NDP government, but, like, I'm, I'm sure an NDP government would do the exact same thing, so, like, I'm not really, like... It's just that it's the nature of our parliamentary system that governments are going to try to get away with what they can get away with, and oppositions are going to try and hinder them however they can. One of one of the other ones mentioned here is time allocation, yeah. which which actually falls along those lines, yes. because um, the liberal governments, of course, were very big critics of time allocation under the conservatives, because the conservatives used time allocation a, re- a lot, a record number of times. Yeah. Um, as I understand it, one of the reasons conservatives used time allocation so much was because of the NDP being the opposition party. Yeah. That debate continues until speakers are not put up Man, anymore. They should, they should have gone to an NDP convention just to see what we have to put <laughs> up with. <laughs> and the NDP opposition was 
uh, much less keen to schedule with the government, yeah. how many speakers they'd put up and things along those lines, yeah. which drags out the calendar. Well, that sounds, that sounds get, so familiar. I feel like means, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, this part was organized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which means you don't get legislation passed in time. And so time allocation was a tool to say there will be a maximum of two more hours of debate, yeah. at which point a vote will commence. Yeah. And so time allocation was used to, quote unquote, shut down debate yeah. or closure or any of these other terms. Yeah in order to keep the calendar moving. Yeah. Okay. It, it has the less desirable effect of closing debate, but at the same time... Well, parliamentary debate is not the most edifying thing in the world. That's like, what I, I would say. encourage everyone who thinks that, oh, parliamentary debate is sacrosanct and must be respected. I would encourage you to just go watch CPAC for a day and get back to me about that. When there are sort of uh, forma speeches being handed out by staffers in the back rooms yeah. of all parties saying, go out there and read this. This is your debate time. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really... T no one's mind has changed. It doesn't... Like, it matters to some degree. I think the committee stuff is actually the most important part, where there actually are opposition critiques that make their way into a final law. Mm -hmm. That's most likely to happen in committee. Yes. It's not going to happen at, like, third reading. No. It's just not. So, it's... I don't know. I, I think people have a very romantic view of what Parliament does sometimes, and even our media does, and even our parliamentary reporters do, who should know better. There have um, been some good debates, though. Like, every now and again, particularly on uh, issues of conscience. Yeah, no, it's not that to say there's no where, value to it. But, that like, is where the actual debates occur. Yeah. Assisted Dying, if anyone watched CPAC for Assisted Dying, I and I think a lot of the press gallery uh, made this comment, but... The debate on that was very genuine, very open, yeah. very, you know, what you'd expect of parliamentary debate. When you're debating amendments to the Air Travel Act or something yeah. along these lines, a lot yeah. of the debate is token. Yeah. And so uh, methods like closure and time allocation, I think, make a lot of sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I And, yeah, to concur with, with a chance, not that I think, like, parliamentary debate is valueless. I just think that its value is probably somewhat overrated on most matters. Outside of committee. Committee is pretty good. Yes, yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Actually, if you live in Ottawa, you can go watch a committee anytime you like. Like, you just go, you tell them, I'm here for a committee. Like, obviously have one picked out beforehand. Yeah, you have to know, you have to know like, which committee. Pick one and, like, check the timing, and that uh, that is publicly available information. But it is actually a pretty edifying experience. Like, you, like they're pretty well-informed people. Uh, the witnesses are usually quite high quality, and, like, the questions are good. It is worth your time if you live in Ottawa or if you're visiting Ottawa They're all to online go as well. You don't have to be here. Parl Even better. Even better. Oh, yeah. Thank Par you, Gwen. <laughs> Parl View is your source for watching committee. Yeah, it but is super good. The perk of being in the room is that if you're lucky, you can sneak away to the MP's food table and, like, grab grab those coveted watermelon slices. Yeah, Although the uh, the parliamentary They will frown will, at you. We'll try and shoot you away. They and will there's, frown. There's little metal signs that say for MPs only, but yeah. a, a lot of people ignore Dress those. Dress like a staffer or, like, a stakeholder. Like, bring a little, like, binder or something, and no <laughs> one will hassle you. It's amazing. Just look like, really angry. Yeah, like, very look very focused, yeah. very, very grim. It's good. Anyway, uh, I think that, that'll wrap us up for today. Yeah, Gwen, you want to take us out? Gwen's literally, <laughs> Gwen has literally never listened to an I, episode of this I show. I admit I didn't do my research. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's good. Hence my silence on Alberta and parliamentary reform. Yeah, not your not your bailiwick. You know. Fair no, enough. Not really. Where are you, where are you from? You're from Ontario. I'm from Toronto, but I spent four years in Halifax. Yeah. Okay. So I went the other way. Team spent four years in the Maritimes. <laughs> Boo. Well, thanks so much for bearing with us this week, folks. And uh, next week we'll be back with some more uh, hot, delicious content, uh, stewed until tender. Oh, the one uh, the one thing I'll add is I think uh, CBC Polecast has about 15 reviews on iTunes. 
We're hoping to beat that. Oh, hell yeah. We can do that easily. I, I think it would be very nice for the first time in my life to beat CBC at something related to media production. Yeah, guys, like he's an Albertan. He hates the CBC. Just give him <laughs> give him his life's wish. Come on, guys. So I think it'd be really great if you went on iTunes and uh, ready to review the show. Yeah, once again. You, and also, you can follow us on Twitter, at uh, Laurenti Carr. Gwen's, Gwen's going to do both of these things as soon as she leaves. Yeah. I have already Aren't followed you? all of you. Okay. Clear. There we go. And Etienne, you are... I don't even bother. Just, okay, just, just follow, follow the, the podcast Twitter account. At Short Pants Pod. And Gwen, you are? Uh, at Gwendolyn underscore MG. Sweet. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Cheers. Cheers.